you've got your Bibles or you want to uh, you want to follow along for a reading, you can grab the uh, the blue um, the blue Bible in front of you, and you can turn to Romans chapter fifteen. Romans chapter fifteen. We're actually going to we'll actually read uh, verses one through thirteen. Romans fifteen. 1 through 13. This is the word of the Lord. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind, And one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might Glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. Verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you this evening, and as we come to your word, we give you praise for it. And Father, we ask that you would indeed fill us with all joy and with all peace. And where our trust in you is lacking and where we're struggling, we pray, Father, that you would shore that up too, that you would give to us the faith that you've promised, that we might look to you in all things, that we might trust you in everything, that we may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We naturally, um, we like the little guy. Um, if you look through the through the Bible, there's uh, there are a, a number of stories that um, recount for us and tell us the story of the little guys. 
David and Goliath is one of those stories. It's, there's a reason why in every children's uh, Bible storybook, David and Goliath is going to be there. Because there's uh, no greater illustration in the Bible, perhaps, of the little guy overcoming than the story of David and Goliath. We, we like it in movies. We like it in real life. Um, there's something in us. We, we identify and we want to identify with the little guy who makes it big. Just this past week uh, in the NFL, Drew Brees surpassed Peyton Manning as the all-time NFL TD thrower. He's a little guy. Have you ever seen him? They put him down at six foot and a quarter. He can't be over five, nine and a half, all right? And when you see him in a huddle, he's tiny. He's little. And, and, and when he was first coming into the NFL, all of the scouts said, he will never make it in the NFL. He's too little. He's too short. He, he won't be able to pass over those big linemen. He, he won't be able to see the plays developing. And so they, they said he wasn't going to make it. And then a week ago, he surpassed the all-time record. For TD's throne. We like to see the little guys win. Some of you have probably seen the movie, uh, the movie Rudy. It's one of my all-time favorites. And uh, the movie Rudy is about a guy named Rudy Rutledge who, was, uh, who had a, a, a real heart. He, he wanted to go to Notre Dame. That was kind of his, his passion. And so he, he was trying to get into Notre Dame, and they sent him to the secondary school, right, the, the one that you go to because you can't get into the one you want to get into. And so he went to Holy Cross, and he was there at Holy Cross for two years, and he kept applying to get into Notre Dame, and they said no, and they said no, and they said no. And the fourth time he made application, he was accepted. Because during that period, they had found out that Rudy was dyslexic. And so they worked with him and he he had a priest that kind of took him under his wing and and helped him along. And so he gets into Notre Dame and then the very next thing that he wants to do is he's going to try out for the football team. Rudy is 5'6", 165. And he wants to play football for Notre Dame. And so he, uh, the coach at that time encouraged walk-ons. And so Rudy does this, you know, he goes and he tries to walk on. And, of course, everybody's laughing at him. And here are these, you know, six, six linemen and, uh, and defensive uh, tackles and defensive ends are looking at him like, what in the world are you doing? But he kept giving and giving and giving. And so if you know from the movie, he, he makes the practice squad and he just gets the snot beat out of him week after week after week, and so he goes through the first season, and then he goes through the second season, and finally the last game of his football career, Rudy gets put in. I'm going to give you the real-life version. In the movie, he plays one play. In the real-life version, he plays three plays. And on his very last play, the last play of the game, he sacks the quarterback, a guy named Rudy Allen. Do we have any Georgia Tech people in here? Rudy Allen was Georgia Tech's quarterback. And little 5'6", 165 Rudy 
made his way back and sacks Rudy Allen for his last play. He has one stat, and that is one sack. But just like the movie, because of his heart, because of because he overcame, because he he cha- he changed hearts and minds on that football team. And if you've seen the movie, they hoist him up on their shoulders and they carried him off the football field. And that really happened because he changed people's hearts. He changed their minds about who he was and what he could do and what he could accomplish. The Apostle Paul in Romans 15 is telling us about a little guy. He's telling us about, really, a, in, in that day and time, a nobody. And, uh, and he's telling us about a guy who was really a nobody, but was responsible for a massive movement of humanity. He literally changed the world's landscape. If you look in verse 12, you'll see that Paul quotes Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 1. And he says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. What is that all about? Let me just give you a little bit of background to understand what, what Paul is doing here. In the book of Isaiah, um, basically there's, there's a pattern. And the pattern is that, that the prophet is announcing the judgment of God on Israel. All right? And so Israel has gone along as, as a nation and they've oppressed and suppressed little people all over. Um, they, they didn't love the way they should love. They didn't care for widows and orphans and the poor the way they should. And so the prophets come along and they judge Israel for that. And so in the first uh, ten chapters of Isaiah, there there is uh, mingled in with some other things, there is this pronouncement of judgment that's coming on Israel. And when you get to chapter 11, Isaiah records for us that the Lord said, look, I am, I am going to cut Israel down. And so the image is that Israel is this gigantic tree, firmly established. And God is going to cut them down. And then he says, I'm going to cut you down, Israel. But out of your stump, out of your stump is going to grow a tender, tiny shoot. And that shoot is going to be the hope of nations. Wow, really? That shoot, that that little shoot is going to come up and and it's going to Have y'all ever have you ever cut a a tree down and had this happen? I I don't I've never had it happen with a tree. It it happens I think with a look, I'm not a I'm not a whatever those people are, tree guy, right? But it's de- deciduous, is that it? deciduous tree. Uh, it happens to that, okay? And um, it, I've never had it happen, but I, I have had it happen with a thing called um, uh, Japanese privet. When we moved into Yazoo City, the entire back part of our property was covered in this privet, all right? 
And, and my, my poor children, for years we cut privet. We cut and we cut and we cut. And, and what we would do, what we were doing, those, we, we were just cutting it off, and, and there would be just this teeny tiny little stump left. And this privet, listen, was yay big, okay? I mean, it had been around for a while. And, and after a year, we would go back out the next summer, and guess what? More privet. That stuff just kept coming up. And, and so it's kind of that idea. Isaiah, the, the message is, Israel, I'm going to cut you down. And you are not going to be the big, you know, uh, people of God that you have been. I'm going to cut you down at the base. And instead of a big, giant, fixed tree, the one who's going to come is going to be the shoot. He's just going to come up out of that stump. But he's going to change the world. Now that's a picture, all right? It's a picture of God's judgment, but it's also a picture of the fact that God is, he's not going to use some big, massive army to change the world. He, he's not going to have some, some, you know, some ruler that sits on a grand throne and controls armies all over. He's not going to be a commanding general. He's going to be small. He's going to be seemingly insignificant. And yet, that is who God says, I am going to use to change the world. As we celebrate the first advent of Jesus, we know that that tiny shoot that is going to spring up, the root of Jesse, is Jesus himself. And Paul tells us in this passage that Jesus is going to be responsible for really two amazing feats. And I'm going to show them to you. The first is, he is going to be responsible for fulfilling the promises of God to the patriarchs. If you look at verse 8, Paul says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Okay, so, big deal. What's, what, what's going on here? Here's what's going on. There were promises. We call them God's covenant promises. Deals made. Okay? And it begins all the way back, really, with Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham that he would make him a blessing to all the nations. And that hasn't quite yet happened. And so this promise is hanging out there. And what Paul tells us is that this Jesus guy is going to fulfill that promise. So he is going to come along and he is going to make the people of God, Abraham's descendants, he's going to make them a blessing to the nations. And that's the second part. The second part is that he is going to, and he is responsible for grace and mercy to non-Jewish people, to non-Israelites, to Gentiles. Probably 99% of you in this room. All right? Most of us here tonight. And so those were the, those are the promises that Jesus 
came to fulfill. He came to both fulfill the promise made to Abraham that he would make him a blessing to the nations, and at the simultaneously same time, he is going to show grace and mercy to the nations. Because here's the reality. The reality is he didn't make a promise to Gentiles. He made a promise to Abraham. He fulfills it by showing us his mercy. And so he came and he lived. The passage is full of all kinds of um, of allusions and, and images to what Jesus did. Um, verse 2, he says, Each of us should please our neighbors for their good and to build them up. For Christ did not what? Please himself. But as it was written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in Scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Verse 5, may the God who, gave, who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God of our Lord Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, look, Jesus came. He took on the form of a man. He lived before the law so that you could be free in that, so that you could place your trust in him and receive from him his righteousness, which is God's gift to you. Here's the second part, really the third part of all of that. So Jesus comes, he fulfills all of these promises, and Paul takes it and he says to us, he says to everybody who professes faith in Christ, listen, he did that. He came He loved you. He loved me. In order that we would do really one thing. And that one thing is to give glory to God. To give glory to God. You can see it. We can start in verse 6. He says, so that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, he says, accept one another, right? Love one another. Accept your neighbors. Don't hold grudges. Y'all are headed into Christmas Day tomorrow, and I'm praying for you. You're going to be with family, right? It's nothing like family to test us. He says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And what does that do? He says, in order to bring praise to God. Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, are you ready? That the Gentiles might glorify God because he has shown them mercy. You know what God wants from his people? He wants for us to glorify him. He wants for us to worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants for us to acknowledge who we are before him and acknowledge who he is. 
He wants us to go out into the world and to bring glory to him by loving each other. Frankly, by just getting along. Right? In, in, in the book of Matthew, um, we, we find out that the way that, the way that we are going to show the world, the way that the church changes the world, it's not by sword. It's not, honestly, it's not even by going to church. By going to church and by hearing the word preached and by singing and praying and, and spending time in Bible study, all the hope is is that that changes who you are right from the inside out. And what we read in Matthew is that the world is going to know who we are and who Christ is by the way in which we love one another and love our neighbors. And so as we head into the supper, as we head into even this time together this evening, one of the things that is happening is, this: as I look out, probably half of you tonight are not members of LOPC. But my hope is, as you're here that you're members of the body of Christ. And so whether you're here or whether you're there, wherever it is you worship, that you do so unified, that you do so loving each other, that you do so loving your neighbors and bringing glory to God as you do it. And all of this happened because Jesus divested himself of the glories of heaven to come down and to take on the form of a man to be found in human likeness. That's what the Advent is really all about. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your goodness to us tonight. Thank you for your word, which reminds us of why Christ came and what he intends to do in and through us in terms of changing the world. We bless you tonight. We ask, Father, that you would be with us as we celebrate the supper together and as we leave this place. In Christ's name, amen.